Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit works in our hearts this morning is the first lesson for today, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve for Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I have provided a king for me from among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer along with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You will invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will reveal to you what to do. You will anoint for me the one which I tell you. Samuel did what the Lord had said and went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled to meet him and asked, Do you come in peace? He said, I come in peace to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. It happened that when he came and saw Eliab, he said, Oh, the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance, at his tall stature, since I have rejected him. It's not what man sees, for man looks at what's visible, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse summoned Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse had Shammah pass by. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had his seven sons pass by before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Is this the full number of your boys? He said, They're still the youngest left over, but see, he's shepherding the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not gather round the table until he comes here. He sent and brought him. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a good appearance. The Lord said, Get up, anoint him, for he is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Samuel got up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Let's get to the heart of the matter here. What do people mean when they, they say that? Let's get to the heart of the matter. That, that certainly means more than let's see how it feels, doesn't it? The heart is the center, the essence, what it's all about inside and out, what makes it go. The opposite of getting at the heart of it is just brushing over the matter, skimming the surface, glancing at outward appearances. Isn't that the contrast that the Lord makes in the text when he says man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart? Note that he's not contrasting head and heart as if feelings were more important than ideas. Rather, he's contrasting what the eye can see on the outside with what is truly inside you. The heart, 
The way the Bible uses that word, the heart, focuses on the mind as well as the emotions. In fact, in, in biblical language, the writer wanted to emphasize emotions. He wouldn't use the word for heart, but rather a word for kidneys or, or bowels. The heart is the real you, the inner you. It's your thoughts and mind, your feelings and emotions, your will and drive. It's the full you, the real you. That's the you which the Lord sees. We can put on appearances. We can play to the eyes of others. We can fool them for better or for worse. But the Lord sees the heart of the matter. He knows the real you. He knows your heart. That's what we want to think about this morning. As the Holy Spirit leads us to reflect on the lives of Saul and of David. First of all, King Saul. He had started out as a good king, humble and magnanimous. Do you remember how it came about that Saul came to be king? He had no thoughts of kingship. No, rather, while he and a servant were looking for his father's donkey, donkeys, they, they realized that maybe they should ask the prophet Samuel. Samuel assured them that the donkeys had been found, but then he anointed Saul to be the first king over Israel. Now this was sort of a, a private ceremony. They, the people still had to publicly choose their king and when they gathered to choose the next king, the Lord directed it that the choice fell to Saul. But where was Saul to be found? Hiding among the baggage. Note his humility. And when some of the troublemakers there despised him, he kept silent. Now, soon after this, the city of Jabesh-Gilead was besieged, and Saul rallied Israel to rescue it. After that victory, some wanted to put those troublemakers who had despised Saul, they wanted to put them to death. But Saul said, No one shall be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Yes, King Saul began as a humble, forgiving, magnanimous king, he made a good start. But what happened? What happened between that good start and the text here when the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Although there were several incidences in Saul's fall, the breaking point came the Lord told Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites and everything belonging to them because of their sins against Israel. Saul went and defeated them, but he and his men spared the best of the sheep and cattle. When Samuel came, Saul said, Look, I've kept the command of the Lord. And then Samuel said, What's, what's this bleeding that I hear? He confronted Saul with his disobedience. Saul excused his actions, saying that they took the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. Wouldn't that look good? These, these nice sacrifices? But rather than the outward sacrifice, the Lord delights in true obedience to his word, Samuel told Saul. Therefore the Lord had rejected Saul as king. Now Saul knew that this would not look good, so he said he was sorry he had sinned. He asked for forgiveness, but the Lord knew his heart. He knew what was going on inside Saul. And so Samuel repeated what the Lord had told him, that the kingdom was torn away from Saul. 
When Saul and Samuel returned to the army, Saul worshipped the Lord with Samuel so that he would retain honor before the elders of Israel. But after that day, until the day Samuel died, he did not see Saul again. The Lord's not fooled by outward appearances. Each of us needs to mark this warning for ourselves. Like Saul, you have made a good start. You've been baptized into Christ. Many of you have confessed your faith at confirmation. You've learned the truths of God's word in Sunday school, catechism class, and Bible class, and you're here today worshiping. But the Lord knows your heart. He's not fooled by outward appearance. So you and I need to examine our inner self, our, our thoughts, our attitude, our emotions, our will, our motive, our drive. Yes, that's all involved in that word, heart. Are you an I Christian, E-Y-E? Are you an I Christian concerned about what looks good in the eyes of others more than where your heart is? Do you just go through the motions of being a Christian? Are you doing it because that's what you're expected to do? That's what your parents did? That's what makes you look good? Do you try to strike a balance between looking good, like a good Christian on the one hand, but on the other hand, not being too religious, as if too much of God's word or following his will too closely is a bad thing? Do you figure, why strive and strain too hard to do what God wants? since I can just ask for forgiveness when I, I mess up anyway, so why bother really trying? Dear friends, don't. Don't follow the path of King Saul. Now, if you're there thinking, you're here, right on, Pastor, I know a lot of people like that. You know, they look good on the outside, but inside I know they're, they're just hypocrites. At least I follow Jesus with an undivided heart. Well, if that's what you're thinking, you've already are looking only at appearances. You've fooled yourself. But the Lord's not fooled by outward appearances. For you see, as long as I am on this earth, my heart is divided, and, and the same applies to you. And unless we leave Jesus and follow only our own will, then we have an undivided heart devoted only to ourselves. No. If we are striving to follow Jesus, we will have a divided heart as long as we walk this earth because we have both an old self and a new self. Yes, the new self in you and me, the new self delights in the word of the Lord. It rejoices in his love. It desires to do his will and serve him. But my old self, my old self so often betrays me. It rejects God's word as boring or foolish. It abuses his love as a license to sin. It desires to do its own thing. Yes, we will have a divided heart when we strive to follow Jesus. There is a, a, a key, key question here. Yes, we want to follow Jesus. We want to strive and follow him more and more. So how can the new self in me grow so that my heart more and more delights in the Lord? Let's learn from David the answer to that question. The text here says, From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. The Holy Spirit, the Lord's Spirit, changes us to the core. 
And that's, that's the second part we focus on here. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. Consider some of the effects of the Holy Spirit, some of the effects that he worked in the life of David. When faced with that hostile giant Goliath, David declared to him, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David trusted in the Lord. Later, when King Saul tried to hunt him down, David hid, he fled and hid, but even on two occasions when he could have killed Saul, he refused to raise his hand against the king, the Lord's anointed. Rather, he trusted the Lord to remove Saul at the right time and, and bring him to the throne. And when, after he became king and was told he would not be allowed to build a temple for the Lord, but that rather a son from his own body would reign forever, King David believed. He praised the Lord that through his family line the Savior would come and reign forever. He trusted the Lord to keep his promise. Even when King David resisted the Holy Spirit and committed adultery with Uriah's wife and arranged for his murder, the Holy Spirit powerfully brought David to repentance through the words of the prophet Nathan. David confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. And he trusted the good news from the mouth of the prophet. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. And finally, when King David had to flee Jerusalem because his son Absalom had orchestrated a coup d'etat, he left it in the Lord's hands, whether the Lord would bring him back or not. He trusted the Lord. <coughs> and that, dear friends, that is the change the Holy Spirit works in you and me. He plants trust in the Lord and grows that trust. But just as a farmer doesn't wave his hand and have his fields planted and growing, so also the Holy Spirit uses tools. For you see, through his tools, the Holy Spirit brings us God's promises and his promises create trust. The second lesson today showed us one of those tools. Titus chapter 3, from which the second lesson came, says, God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, what kind of washing pours out the Holy Spirit on us? Well, baptism, of course, that washing of water with the word. And what promise does the Holy Spirit use in baptism to plant trust in our hearts? Again, go back to Titus chapter 3. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. What great promises are contained in those words. First, the promise of justification, that God gives the verdict that he has forgiven our sins. They are washed away. Your record is clean, for he counts Jesus' record as yours. He credits you with Jesus' righteousness, his right status. Again, you have another promise, the promise that this is all by grace, unearned, unmerited, undeserved by us, but freely given according to God's good will and pleasure, freely given because Jesus has paid the price of his blood in our place. There's the promise of inheritance. For in baptism you were reborn into God's family. 
reborn as an heir, an heir of heaven. The promise of hope is there, a hope that does not disappoint no matter what giants of trouble you face, for this hope is built on Jesus and his word, which does not fail or prove false. And the promise of eternal life, for Jesus has risen, he has conquered death, he brings eternal life to all who believe in him. What great promises the Holy Spirit uses to change us to the core. And this book, this book right here, the Bible, is God's book of promises. Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Through the word, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. Through the word, the Holy Spirit speaks God's saving promises. Through the word, the Holy Spirit plants trust. And that's why we dare not play our head against our heart as if we can use one and not the other. For after baptism, the Holy Spirit brings the word to our hearts through our head. The Holy Spirit uses our minds to understand the word, to know what the promise is saying so that we trust what our God says. Without the Holy Spirit, of course, our reason would reject the promises as foolishness, but the Holy Spirit opens our minds. He enlightens us. He has enlightened you through that same word of promise so that we believe. So if you want the Spirit, dear friends, if you want the Spirit to use the word, if you want to be changed to the core, use the word. If you want to be a David and not a Saul, use the word. And a good place to go in Scripture to use the word is to the Psalms. In fact, God used David to write many of them. The Holy Spirit will use the Psalms and the rest of God's word to work trust in your heart. For through the word, the Holy Spirit changes us to the core so that we do much more than simply an outward practice of Christianity He changes our hearts. The real you, the inner you, your thoughts, minds, emotions, attitude, will and drive. Yes, dear friends, God knows your heart. And so he certainly knows how to keep you trusting his promises. No matter what Goliath you face, no matter how bleak the future may seem at times, no matter how horrible the sin that torments you, the Holy Spirit is fervently calling to you. He is calling to you through the promises of baptism and through the promises of God's word. Hear those promises. Trust them. They will not fail. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.